0: No credentials. Greatest
1: albums. Welcome back to the Sound Logic podcast. Today we are talking about album number six on Rolling Stone magazine's top 500 greatest albums of all time list. This is Neverbind by Nirvana. Good lord. <laughs> You can just do from This is yep. Nevermind. This is Nevermind by Nirvana. And be, as... <laughs> <just> go ahead.
2: We've got to find our rhythm here.
1: We're not hitting stride here. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. As we've been discussing, we are on the brand new 2020 list that mm-hmm. the Rolling Stone just put out. And we're going through the albums again. And this is... A big bump up for one of our favorite albums growing up uh what do you think ben this was number 17 now it's number six
2: yeah it's funny i think it was the earliest uh on that older list that an album from the 90s had appeared right and it's it's that case again but it's much much higher this time um all the way from 17 to number six um this is an interesting one i really like this album it's uh one of the, I think carries a lot of nostalgia for me, but it's Mm -hmm. not one that I gravitate to, to pick up and put on. And uh, I think for me in the, in the little bit that we've navigated the 2020 list so far, I think they've shied away a little bit from um, putting something on for its influence. I think that was the case a lot more in 2003 and 2012 albums would appear just because they were inspiring to other people um nirvana's nevermind altered music yeah but i don't know that that people are playing grunge music so much today like it, it seems mm. like it's sort of set in its own time it inspired a lot it launched a lot there are still people who love this music um but uh you know does does inspiration alone make it great i don't know and so that that uh it made a whole lot of sense for it to be on the 2020 uh, 2012 list where it was. I'm a bit surprised, I guess all that to say, I'm a bit surprised to see it rise up. I didn't expect it to fall off the list. I thought it would still be there, but to have it rise up seems somewhat different than the rest of the top 10 here, which I think are sort of lasting longevity albums that have all risen, risen up to the top, sort of timeless in a way that, that this album is not. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that resonates with you, or if I'm just on my own tangent here tonight. But, but uh, I have some mixed feelings, I guess, about seeing it here. I, certainly, as a child who sort of came of age in the '90s, it's mm. wonderful to have something representing there, and I think that yeah. represents the decade quite well. And it's uh, certainly important—a uh, record for no doubt. Um, but to no, me, this is this I, is Nirvana. This is Nirvana, not no doubt, not not no doubt, right? <laughs> Don't go chasing waterfalls. No, that's TLC. That's TLC. Um, but you're uh, in the right decade for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's a it's an interesting one for me. And I almost wish that we'd, um, you know, spend a whole other hour discussing its relevancy with Rob Jones to see, you know, uh, a, a little while. What has it have been? It's been more than a year later to see if our thoughts are now different or if the review that we gave it um, from a, a year ago still holds up. Um, but you know what better reason than to revisit that review, and that's exactly what we're gonna do here in a little bit is we'll uh invite you if you haven't heard it to listen for the first time, and if you heard it a year ago, but maybe there's some cobwebs around what we actually said, uh, you get the chance to sit down with us and listen to this review that we did uh, a little while ago
1: um right yeah yeah i I resonated with with some of the things you said. I think that it was definitely inspiring it was. Extremely successful. Rolling Stone magazine, on their little blurb this time around, have noted that it knocked Michael Jackson's Dangerous off the top of the charts. Um, oh, yeah, which is pretty crazy. Uh, and it kind of launched grunge music uh, with that, you know, trumping of uh, sure. of the king of pop. There, it showed a shift in what was happening in music. Absolutely. I think right now, we talked before about how this list kind of tells a story of how hip-hop has become the most important genre right now. Uh, I listen yeah. to any genre of music and I hear hip-hop in it. I hear the beats. Mm-hmm. I hear I hear rapping. It's in country. It's in, obviously, pop. It's in rock. It's, it's everywhere. It's permeated everything. Um, and there's still music that's just hip-hop uh, and there's music that's a hybrid of it. In the 90s, I feel like there was still this huge split between a lot of different genres. There yes. wasn't a whole lot of crossover. There's tons of crossover now all over the place. A lot of the country in the 90s was sounding a lot poppier, Yep. but they weren't introducing kind of hip-hop and some of those other R&B pop elements into it yet like they are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in this top 10, we have two albums from the 90s we have nirvana here at number six and lauren hill's uh the miseducation of lauren hill at number 10 and i think that shows (laughs) that i think is the. we'll talk about that when we get there and that's one an album we haven't reviewed yet because it has Mm -hmm. moved way up it was previously at number 314 (laughs) Mm -hmm. and now it's the number 10 which i think makes a ton of sense that album shows kind of how hip hop was taking over uh very successful at the grammys yeah uh, and uh i can hear just tons of influence in it and then after it uh so i think we have kind of two different paths of the 90s represented here in the top 10 we have the early 90s we have the introduction of grunge uh such a huge anybody i think who's still making anything rock any alternative rock uh any kind of emo rock, anything like that, I think Nevermind is still a foundation there. I think it is still very relevant. Yeah. But I I see what you're saying, and I think, you know, another 10 years, maybe it would be slipping down again and something else is taking its place, but just so pivotal. Yeah, I get it. I'm pleased it's moved up. I think it makes sense because of the people who are making music now, Um, but... Uh it's cool that there are two different genres represented in this top 10 from the decade of the
2: 90s. Yeah, I'm looking forward to digging into that uh Lauren Hill album because I think what you're seeing at the end of the 90s is a rap hip-hop artist that is bringing in a bunch of different genre elements. It's mm-hmm. not it's not at all. It's a long way from, you know, the Public Enemy album, the only rap album that we talked about in our first 60 albums on the last list. Yeah. Uh, it's very different than that. And um, it's a bit more of a genre blurring album, which I think enters into the 2000s, like you said. And so, yeah, I like that. I like that uh, we can hold these two up as kind of bookends for the decade. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting that they're both present there. And, uh, and I think that'll give us a lot to talk about when we get to the miseducation of Lauryn Hill.
1: That's right. Until that time, uh, you're going to have to bear with us for a few more albums. But right now, we're going to present to you our previous review of Nirvana's Nevermind. And we'll join you next time when we discuss album number seven, which is Fleetwood Mac's Rumors. Can't wait. So our review of Nirvana is coming up right after this.
2: I'm Ben, and you're listening to The Sound Logic Podcast.
1: This is Mike. Each episode, we discuss one of music's greatest albums from Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list. Brought to
2: you by two guys with no credentials. Welcome to The Sound Logic Podcast. What album are we listening to today, Asher? Today, we're listening to Neverbind by Nirvana. And when you get three guys born in the 80s talking about this album, they tend to get a little long-winded. So we decided to break this episode into two parts what it's true i think we made the right call are you gonna stay here with us bye all right give my ice cream back bye It's
1: enough of that he's gonna steal my job
2: <laughs> welcome back everyone today we are discussing album number 17 on rolling stone's list of the greatest albums of all time that happens to be nevermind by nirvana
1: We're so excited to have a special guest with us today, our good friend Rob Jones. Rob, thanks for joining us.
0: No problem. Excited. Long time listener, first time contributor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: Rob is a a very old friend of mine. We've been friends since probably before high school. I'm not that old. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Long time friend. And uh, this is unique for me because Rob and Ben are two thirds of my uh, groom's party. Groomsman party. What do you call that? Yeah, something. Groomsman. Like that. Um, so we'll. There's one more, and we'll have Steve on at another time. But uh, it's great to have you guys here. You're both uh, really good friends of mine, and uh, Rob. We know that you're really excited about this album. It's one you grew up with, so we're looking yeah, forward to well, what I you have to say uh, about it.
0: It's a unique album, and I'm gonna tip my hand too much, but it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's unique for a bunch of different reasons. So it was one of the first ones that when i read through that top 500 list and yeah it it sort of jumped out in that first 25 of of something was very unlike the others so Hmm. yeah i was excited by that that possibility there's a a few things
2: well before we dive in too deep um tell us a little bit more about yourself rob how do you describe yourself to people who might inquire and um maybe give us a little snapshot on your musical background uh that, that journey of experience
0: well i like uh probably like a little bit like mike um i've always had an interest in music um guitar was probably the only thing that i would ever fashion myself as being able to um somewhat play um played in a couple little very unsuccessful bands myself but I uh, just, just always had an appreciation for the diversity of music for, across genres. Um, musically as well, I, I would say probably similar to yourselves, rock was probably uh, the one genre that, that has sort of stuck with me the longest. Um, however, that being said as well, I'll, I'll often find myself flipping around radio stations and um, jazz, I was on a huge jazz kick for for a good chunk of time. Um, recently, I don't really know what it is about pickup trucks and country music, but I got myself a pickup truck about <laughs> two years ago. And with my, with my, uh, apparently, when you spend $50,000 on a new vehicle, they give you six months of serious radio with it as a freebie. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I tuned into one of those stations and got hooked onto to country. So um, musically, I think I, I'm fairly diverse in my taste. Um, but I've, I think I'm always going to have a pretty good soft spot for, for that genre in particular.
2: Country music. I'm about to just uh, pull yeah, the plug on this whole interview and start over. <laughs>
1: <laughs> according to According to Rolling Stone magazine, there there is no great country album. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I see that. And I'm okay with that, to be honest. It's uh, You want to think about sing about girls, pickup trucks, dogs, and drinking, then... Then I guess country's your thing, but right. if you want to go a bit deeper than that, you gotta look through a different genre.
2: Would there be anything close? <laughs> Do we right. got anything
1: like by yeah. the Eagles or Well I I think the closest maybe like uh
2: yeah, Dylan, I guess, sometimes gets a little bit
1: Elvis. Elvis Dylan, um, some of the older kind of C C R rock country blues stuff. Oh, Johnny yeah. Cash. I think Johnny Cash might be actually
0: yeah. the closest Cash thing. Is
1: probably- uh,
0: and I think Cash as well. If you're looking at greatest 500 albums, and I know we've had this debate, but it's not for the music. And let's let's call a spade like we can argue. Wow. We can start. Well, it's for the storytelling. <laughs> for the thing Dylan, right? Dylan, the knock to Dylan is 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 he polished? No. Is he a musician? Question mark. Can he? <laughs> can he? encapsulate you in his storytelling through music of course he can
1: yeah. and because of yeah.
0: that he's got a very vigilant loyal following
1: just haven't met no. any of them yet no do <laughs> except for chris good our good friend chris. <laughs> uh yeah i see i see on this list hank williams oh, yeah. um you know so there That's are a few country. but it's there's nothing there's no modern country no. like you no. know one of the greatest american uh sorry most successful in terms of album sales uh, garth brooks you know he's nowhere to be seen on this list you'd think that he'd, he'd at least have one um what a huge career and long before the first like he started in like 1990 or 89 the first list was published in 2003 so it's not like you know he came too late so anyways um uh one question we would like to ask our guests rob did you have any history with this 500 list uh, from before we started this podcast, either the first or the second version? Did you pick up a copy when it came out or read through it?
0: When I was around the time that this came out, um, we were still in that point where, at least for me, my elementary school, we kept selling these um, magazine subscription things as fundraisers for the school. Uh, really, it was probably closer to child labor than anything else, but the school got some money for it. I pitched to my parents that Rolling Stone magazine would be a good subscription for my hmm. non-using loving parents <laughs> because they didn't know what it was. So they got a subscription to Rolling Stone at the time and this just showed up in the mail one day. So
2: wow. I think,
0: um, yeah, it was great. I, I conned them into it.
2: Dig around their basement and see if you can dig up a copy because
1: Mike and I, I, I still need to take a look. My
0: parents are sword hoarders. So <laughs> I bet there's a copy of this in their basement somewhere.
1: Oh, let's, let's take a trip up the road, bud.
0: Yeah, no, we were, My uh, My dad, I think you know, my mom was in the military for a number of years. And when she was discharged, they, I'm jumping all over the place here, but um, they discharged you with a set of your personal effects in boxes. But the box had were steel ammunition cases. And you got to package all your stuff up on it and ship it to your home address. Um, so for the longest time, my parents, in all of these ammunition cases in the basement, just have tons of vinyl and it was just packed to the brim and then at one point that that vinyl made its way onto a shelf and, and uh these magazines all ended up getting stored into these cases so i'll have to have a dig around and see if i can still find them
1: oh uh, and
0: hold on did you say vinyl vinyl <laughs> like we got to go dig through that, we man. We do, but I want to do a disclaimer is the vinyl is my parents' vinyl. So <laughs> we're not going to be finding um, something that might satisfy our musical tastes. You never know, man. Yeah. You never my know. Mom, you never know mom, what mommy, you're going to find. Yeah. She's quite a Motown fan, though. So there's going to be
1: a bit of. Oh, for sure. some great stuff. <laughs> Maybe get our hands on some James Brown or oh, something. Oh,
0: yeah. Some Erythra. <laughs> Yeah, we'll find it in there.
1: Um, oh, that's that's cool. That's I uh, I gotta be honest, I don't remember you ever telling me your mom was in the military.
0: <laughs> really? Yeah.
1: She, uh, I mean, you you may have at some point, and I just forgot, but I don't remember. Yeah. That.
0: Well, that's that was her that was her ticket out of Saskatchewan. She she signed up for the military and went overseas and spent some time in Germany, just mid fifties. Oh wow. Uh, no, sorry, uh, mid sixties. Yeah, uh, that makes some, more sense. Some time over there and then. Came on back and, and worked as a nurse in Toronto. So yeah. Wow. Yep. That's one, wow. that's one wow. way to get out of Saskatchewan.
1: Yeah. Well, there's getting some great history here.
0: <laughs> really less about the top five hundred and more about the Jones family history right now.
1: <laughs> that's okay. I'm all about that. <laughs>
2: um, oh, that's right.
1: Okay, so let's talk about Nirvana. Um, and this, uh, Oh, I want to say so many things, but I want to try and channel it into some sort of semblance of order. Um, okay, let's, okay, let's start with this. Let's start with this. Um, raise your hand if you've listened to this album before. (laughs) (laughs) So everyone's got their hand raised. (laughs) Um, uh, and I want to say that, I said this about the Beatles and I'll say it about Nirvana. I I never owned this album, not a hard copy. And I don't know that I had listened to it front to back, but it was another one of those artists that I felt like I didn't need to buy any albums because they play the music so much on the radio and you're going to a friend's house and they might have it on. So probably at some point I had heard all the songs, but never had intentionally put it on. But I only think that one or two of them really felt new. I felt like I knew them all and it was Uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was still a very good experience and exciting to listen to it again, but it wasn't a new experience. Uh, did you guys have, did you own copies of this album? I did
2: not. I think I'm like you, Mike, my, uh, my listening would have been, uh, hanging around, hanging out with friends. I have some fairly clear memories. I think of the, uh, the playground, uh, in eighth grade, uh, a friend got, a CD boom box that took like, you know, eight D batteries or something. And, uh, and people would bring their shoe boxes full of, uh, of CDs at the time. And, um, this was in there with stuff like stone temple pilots and Pearl jam and Soundgarden and, uh, smashing pumpkins oh, and man. all of those sort of grungy, uh, bands. Um, so I'm sure that I've listened to the whole thing before, uh, but, but never intentionally, never never owned it i don't think it's ever been an album i've pulled up on spotify uh until embarking on this this week's episode
1: so rob you're a you're a guitar guy like ben um and one thing that you guys have in common and i think correct me if i'm wrong uh your first guitars both of you were both electric guitars is that right
0: it was for me yeah i had a, a blue fender stratocaster that uh I still own to this day.
1: Awesome. And Ben, I think your your first guitar was a white strat.
2: Right. Yeah, a knockoff off uh, Squire, so it was um a level below the American made ones, but yeah, my dad has uh, several acoustic guitars, and so I played those uh initially first while I was learning, you know, chords, but um the first guitar I bought with my own money was
1: an electric. Super cool. So Rob, was this an album? that you played along to, you know, when you were learning?
0: Well, it, it was for me. Um, but once I got past um, G-A-D chord progressions over and over in mixed-up orders, uh, I think I moved past playing along to this album. Um, musically, yep. it, it's, it's, it's simplistic, and, and we'll get to that. Um, I think it's done well and that's not a knock to it but I, I think intentionally that was part of the charm of this album is that that musically it wasn't incredibly complex and it wasn't difficult uh it wasn't difficult to replicate or to play along with so it was a it was a great catchy learn to play along album um, right yeah if you were trying to learn New skills, new progressions, new techniques. You evolved out of this fairly. I evolved out of this fairly quickly as an incredibly unaccomplished guitarist.
1: Right. <laughs> I, I hear what you're saying. Um, no, absolutely. I, I mean, the bass chords are a, a lot of the sounds that Cobain is making are a little different, and, and you can't do without, you know, s- some effects. But the the chords are pretty easy. Um, I think that when you first pick up an electric guitar, especially in the '90s, after you learn to play the riff for "Smoke on the Water," you're probably learning to play the riff for uh, "Come as You Are,"
0: and then yep, the riff of Keen Spirit." Right, exactly. Yeah. What after single notes? Now you
1: move into power uh, into power chords, yeah. right? So, uh, so these are like, yeah. I think we've said many times uh, an album or music in general doesn't have to be complicated to be really good. And this is, I think this is one of the things that made this so accessible. Um, I want to debate uh, that later on, but uh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yes. We'll table that.
2: (laughs) But I absolutely Um, resonate with that. Uh, I didn't own this album, but I knew enough uh, to know that, um, 102.1 102.1 The Edge would probably play some songs after school from this yep. album, and I could plug in my guitar and uh, you know, mess around on the fretboard until I figured out what power chord was the starting one and and go from there.
1: Before you heard it for the first time, do you remember what you thought it would sound like? Oh. And I know this is reaching back for us, but I, I want to dig a little deeper on this album because this is the first album that came out in our lifetime on this list. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, this is the first album that we actually uh could have experienced when it was released. I mean, we were a little young, but but we do remember when when they were in their prime. So, I think that makes it very special. Mm-hmm. Um do you guys have any memories of what, you know, what you thought the first time you heard it or what you thought Nirvana would be like?
2: I don't know how this happens. Um but I think in the same way that I knew without a shadow of a doubt that a Ouija board was evil and Dungeons and Dragons were something not to do. <laughs> Nirvana was this this thing out there that I knew nothing about except that it was uh something good Christians oh. didn't touch. Right. Um, and I don't I don't know where that got built in. I I don't think my parents ever said don't listen to Nirvana. I don't think it was ever preached at church. Um So, so I have no idea where that comes from, but Nirvana, I think in my mind, before I'd even heard them, I thought of them as being dangerous, um, Mm -hmm. and, and something that was outside of something that a good kid would do. And, uh, and, and a little bit outside of the box. Um, I was trying to remember, uh, the timeline, you know, in 1991, uh, Rob, were you, were you also an 82 birthday?
0: Yeah. Yep.
2: So we were only 9 years old. Um I'm not sure that I would have been aware of this album when it came out. Uh in yeah. fact, I think our peak Nirvana uh experience was probably around the time of Cobain's death. Yep. And so it may be that, you know, there's this tragic story of a guy um uh losing his life to suicide and it may have been that. It may have been that sort of like that darkness that was associated with this band so that even though I didn't really know their music, I knew that, you know, they were in some dark web of something yeah. that resulted in someone dying.
0: Yeah. Uh, he knew the tragedy. So There was a
2: tragedy associated with it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that's my hunch is that, you know, I, I thought this was dangerous. I, I thought it was, you know, taboo and probably a big part of that was the circumstance around, um, Cobain's death and really their their prominent rise yeah what about you guys
0: I think it's interesting in the fact that it, it, it's a question to ponder about what did you what did you foresee this album to be like and to hold and, and its impact to ask that question now reflecting on my thoughts is as as Ben has mentioned as a nine-year-old it's even if I may have been 15 16 17 when it came out I don't think. It's hard to peg your thoughts on what it's going to be because really the the infamy behind this album is really held from the fact that the genre that it really opened and the accessibility um, to really alternative rock uh, coming into a wider audience. So, I, I mean, the only album before this from Nirvana is Bleach. And if you if you were to ask anyone in 1989 or sorry in 89, what'd you feel of bleach or did it come in 90?
1: Uh, I think you're right with 89.
0: Yeah. So, so when that album came out, well, what do you think of bleach? I I don't think it would have really been on the radars of many, many mainstream music fans. It wasn't until kind of 94, 95 with the, at the peak of Nirvana's um, impact and, Cobain's death, people were reaching back into the early kind of discography. Um, and I mean, this album was sort of revolutionary. This, this broke them through. Yes. So, but I, I don't think if you would have asked me, even as an informed music lover that was not nine years old, I don't think I would have really had this album or had any expectations for it.
1: I think the the word that you mentioned, Ben, is the one that I was thinking of was dangerous it felt like mm. I saw I, and the cover too. I saw the cover <laughs> when I was really young and I was like, Ooh, that's okay. That's strange. Um, am I, is that supposed yeah. to be out in the open? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, are we supposed to be able to just see that?
2: Columbia house um, gets delivered to our door. How can they put that in there? <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. Exca- exactly. Columbia
0: house. I remember Columbia
1: house. <laughs> Yeah. That was one of the little stickers, uh, <laughs> you know, and, I, too, remember, you know, sitting with some of the older kids at youth group who had it. And I think that, me personally, but probably all of us, I think I was about two or three years too young. That if a few years older, and probably would have been right into it. Because I think about when I got some of my first CDs, it was probably two or three years later. Yeah. um, That I think I would have... I, I do remember hearing it, and when I heard songs like smells like teen spirit then it was kind of like oh that's that sounds kind of good it still felt it felt very dark especially i remember uh one of my friends i think ben josh maynard i think he had in utero when it came out okay and even just looking at the cover i remember him having it in his room looking at the cover and maybe hearing some songs was like it just felt very mature very dark a little scary um you know from from a 11 12 year old's perspective or maybe even younger 10 year old i think that one came out in 92 um it's like it just still felt a little old yep. for me at the time yeah so i think if if we'd been born maybe 3 to 5 years earlier and as a lot of our peers uh who were like really like i have peers who are maybe 2 years older who like Live and breathe Pearl Jam. I grew up with that, and I'd like feel like I just missed it.
2: Yeah, I would think uh, Unplugged in New York might be the one that that yep. I feel more of a tie to. Like it was a part of my uh, musical awareness. Um, that was '94, uh, a few it, years yeah. after this.
0: It's also important to note, though, that of that Unplugged in New York album, and I, I I had both of these albums gut feeling without reading back through the track list, I bet you half of those songs are off of this album.
1: Yeah. Well they only Whoa, have now I have to look that yeah, up
0: back <laughs> check me. But I'm because I I CDs didn't wear it the same way cassettes did, but when I'm when I'm listening to this album in my mind without physically listening to it, I'm hearing the acoustic versions of half of these songs, mm. and it's obviously mm. from live in New York. Like, come as you are, all I can think of is, a, is a just cheering as he starts the riffs up, because that was, that was, the, that was on the album.
2: Yeah. One, two, three,
1: four. <laughs>
2: it's fact checking. Yeah. yeah. Five. Uh, five.
1: Five of four, five of fourteen. So I
0: remember there was fourteen tracks. <laughs> but
1: about about a third, and important to note, they
0: don't do "Smells Like Teen Spirit." Well, that that doesn't quite come across the same on an acoustic.
1: No.
0: I'm with you.
2: And they went a you. bit more obscure, right? It was quiet. It was a quieter set. Yeah. It wasn't all their hits.
1: Yeah, and and even the songs they did off "Nevermind" are not kind of the standout. You know, in your face songs like "Polly on a Plane," something in the way yeah. those are those are different.
2: And and unplugged comes out after his death. So, I I mean, sounds horrible to say this, but I think his death elevated the band to uh, pop culture awareness level yeah. that wouldn't have happened had uh, had it not occurred. Um, and I think made you know. Uh, April '94, he died. And he it made it like playground talk for us, even though we were 12 years old. Um, in a way that I don't think we were talking about uh, Eddie Vedder or any of the other sort of grunge lead, no, lead singers. Um,
1: yeah, I, I remember hearing. Um, I had a in public school. I, at the time, I had a paper route, and I had a I had a Walkman. So I listened to usually not a tape. I usually listened to the radio, and it was always the Edge. Um, and I remember when they talked about. I remember two things. I remember uh, Navid by Our Lady Peace coming out, and them playing that a lot. And then I hear them. I remember them saying that the guy from Nirvana died, and I still didn't really know who he. Like I knew who they were, but it didn't really follow him. Especially not like you can follow things now. You had to be very intentional like you had to go buy magazines or tune into a tv show at a very specific time to watch something my kids don't understand <laughs> that <laughs> right because you can look up whatever you want anytime you want they're even younger and they know all about their their pop culture icons and the people they want to know about they just look it up yeah. you, you couldn't just do that uh, before the internet and i think that i mean Our generation and generations before us know that, but they don't now. So I remember hearing on my paper route that Kurt Cobain died, even though I didn't really know who he was other than Nirvana. So, yeah, interesting.
2: We ready for some details?
1: Details, 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 details. Okay, so details... Before we start, um, I mentioned earlier on the 500 list, this is the first album from the 90s, and it's the first album uh, that's more recent than 1978. I think at number eight, we had uh, The Clash is London Calling, and there's been no album since then more recent than that so we totally skipped the 80s and we've jumped right into we've jumped right into the 90s which i think is is very significant for a list that's very steeped in the 60s and the the folk rock and pop rock that comes out of the 60s and kind of the things that evolve from that we jump right ahead to something totally different which i think really speaks to uh, the influence of this album so we will see that in some of these details and why that is
2: I think it's also interesting that um this is the only album that's come out since our birth. <laughs> I think so you far, already re- yep. referenced that. <clears throat> and yep, uh yep. it takes a few more until we get to another one, right? Uh Thriller is the only other one in the top 20 that would have come out
0: since we were born. When did that come out? 82? Uh, it's I think I want to say 77. And
1: maybe it predates it well, predates me. <laughs>
0: Okay.
2: Uh, no, it came out in eighty-two.
1: Eighty-two. So before before
0: I was born. But probably
2: before both
1: of us. November were born. 30th, 1982. Wow. So Ep- 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 Ep. I was alive. Oh, I so know. you were you were alive, but I was not. <laughs> you guys were alive.
0: Um, it
1: was a good yeah, year. So yeah, that was a great year. <laughs> uh yeah, so so those albums aren't really represented at all until later on in this list, you know, some of the more recent ones. Um, but this one obviously has had a lot of influence. Uh, okay. So this, this album was released on September 24th, 91, and they had been recording it off and on for over a year. Um, so it's kind of the, like Bleach wasn't huge. Like Bleach, as I agree with you, Rob, Bleach was not a, successful album at least not not before his death or before never mind it, it wasn't very successful uh, it wasn't till Nevermind. and i think sometimes you see that with a band that kind of takes a long time to figure out what's going to be on the album and polish it so they recorded this for a while and this was their second studio album the whole thing was written by kurt cobain uh the other guys get a credit on smells like teen spirit and I think there's one other co-writer, but most of it's all Kurt Cobain. Uh, it charted very well. It went to number one in the U.S. and number seven in the U.K. Uh, and I I added up kind of the certifications, but Wikipedia says that it's sold at least 30 million copies to date. Um, and in the U.S., it's done 10.6 million. So this is, so far, on our list, if this data is correct, this is the hmm. most successful album that we've discussed so far in terms of sales. Uh, because uh, Sgt. Pepper's, the number we found was 19.
0: Hmm.
1: So this is a very successful album. Uh, also important to note, this is the first album featuring Mr. Dave Grohl on drums. He was not on Bleach.
2: Hmm. <laughs>
1: what and i think that uh i you know what listening we won't get in that's why i didn't do well it's dave grohl's amazing oh yeah yeah <laughs> i mean um listening to this album again i don't remember before really listening to the drums but listening to it again like they're they're yeah. pretty good <laughs> like it's uh, it's it's decent um i kind of rushed through that because i know we all really want to talk about this artwork um <laughs> Does anybody other than me want to describe this? Go ahead. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll do it. Okay, so if again, if you're living under a rock and you've never seen this image, it's uh it's mostly blue. It, we're underwater in what looks like a pool, and there's a a a young child, probably a baby less than a year old. He's almost got a starfish going. He's swimming towards a uh, one dollar American bill. Um, which is on a fish hook. Uh, The bottom half of the album is a dark blue. The top half is a little lighter because we can see the surface. He's almost smiling. There's a bit of the sunlight on him. And of course, most prominently we can, we can see a little bit of his (laughs) tiny penis at the back. Um, One display
0: for the world to see.
1: Yes. So that um, my son uh, looked at my computer uh, earlier today, as I was preparing notes and and uh, uh, had a few <laughs> different reactions. First, he said, "Whoa!" And then he laughed, um, and he's like, "What is that?" <laughs> uh, I was like, uh, "Well, that's uh, that's the album artwork. That's just what's there." Um, and then at the bottom, it says Nirvana. In their, I think, which would be their common band font i don't know what font oh, yeah. that is kind of very narrow block capitals underlined and underneath it says never mind and all i can say is the font is like uh underwater font like yeah like it's, Jaws. Kind of rippling, it's like, rippling it's it's very yeah. that is v- probably the most dated thing about the design here is that kind of text is very uh juvenile i find but other than that so that so this is this is the never mind album cover in probably more detail than anyone's ever put in describing it
2: (laughs) Uh, no come on now you can look at a time magazine article uh in which they interview the baby who's now like almost 30 oh really Um, yeah Yeah. his his name is
0: uh spencer eldon
2: spencer eldon uh yeah and there's a number of articles around the interwebs of uh, this baby. He's even posed in pools trying <laughs> to recreate the, uh, the same image. In
0: so. similar attire?
2: Yeah. Uh, I, no, always with shorts on, at least the Google yeah. images I can see. Um, Apparently, his family got two hundred bucks. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah.
0: they signed a, uh, uh, a a clause that said, "This is going to be your daily rate and payment. No rights and residuals for for release of the photograph." And he went with two hundred dollars cash, while well, I'm sure his parents did. And uh, that was the end of yeah. that.
2: There was apparently a stock image that the record company found that they liked, but it was going to cost them like something like ten grand in residuals yeah. every year. Uh, to use this stock image on an album cover. And like, now let's go to a pool and film. Apparently this, Uh, the
0: backstory even before that is Kurt Cobain wanted to have sort of creative right over, over the image as well. So he thought it was going to be, he'd he'd read stories about um, kind of natural birthing methods and, and understood that many babies were, were born in, in pools and in hot tubs and, and other sort of water delivery methods. And he thought that that would be uh, a, a great album cover of a, of a baby being born in water. Um, so when he started scouring through stock images that had been taken, they were all – we think this image is graphic. They were taken to the next level. So the, <laughs> the compromise was, okay, well, why don't we – um, sort of have a baby in a pool swimming towards a dollar bill, and we'll make that we'll make that the album cover, which is a metaphor, by the way. You, you guys are aware of the metaphor of the dollar bill? Uh, no, I, I have I have guesses about it,
2: but I mean beyond the rat race, and
0: uh,
1: I, I assumed it was you know kind of American greed uh, that we're born, you know, especially with Cobain saying this is like birth, we're we're born into. Greed and striving for the, the all-powerful all powerful dollar. Okay. Ben? Yeah. You were born
2: into this capitalism, chasing a dollar before you even are aware of it.
0: Well, I think at least one of the things that I had read is that that why apparently Kurt Cobain had sort of agreed to that as an image on the cover was he saw that as a metaphor for Nirvana's place in musical history. Nirvana, and, and I'm sure we'll get to this in a later part, but they were they were heavily influenced by a genre of music that was a little bit edgier and harder. And Cobain sort of softened that a little bit and made it a little bit melodic um, and patchy, yet a lot of the imagery and, and dark themes still being present. So he saw the the baby chasing the dollar bill as the alternative rock band trying to push and chase and become successful, um, with something that was continually evolving and moving away from them being mainstream music and acceptance. And uh, Uh. maybe there's no fact at all behind that story, but that, that was one of the ones that I had sort of read. I think it makes sense.
1: I like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah let's go with it um uh there was concern about um the boy's penis being visible and uh geffen wanted to to do an alternate cover without it uh, because they thought it would offend people but Cobain, who was the creative behind it, said he would own his only compromise he would make was that adding a sticker to the cover that would say, if you're offended by this, you must be a closet pedophile. (laughs) Wow. So, um,
2: I I was trying to remember if, like, you know, if you'd go to Future Shop or something like that, I seem to remember them strategically putting the price sticker in that general region, but. Maybe I'm just making that up.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I I would not shock me at different stores if they did that.
2: It still does, you know. Whatever it's been, twenty-seven years later, it still does feel like wow. This was some, you know, you know, thinking about it coming on uh, the Columbia House flyer in the mail <laughs> does seem a little surprising. That, uh, yeah.
0: There was, um, so the, the art, sorry, not the artist, the photographer, um, was a guy in, oh shoot, what was his name? Kirk Weddle, I think. yeah He actually had four, um, four month olds. Uh, Spencer Eldon was one of which, and he had said, well, basically how this was going to work is you're going to float the dollar bill. And then someone on the pool deck, they rented an entire Olympic sized pool for the photo shoot. He set up an entire studio underwater. Uh, with his underwater cameras, and uh, he had a radio under there somehow. I don't know how that works. And he'd radio up to the deck and say, okay, throw the baby in now. And they'd launching these kids into the pool, and uh, they'd start pulling the uh, the dollar bills away from them. And uh, That's this, this image that ended up on the, cut, on the cover uh, was about the only one they could find with the kid who had their arms outstretched and their eyes actually open. So it made the cut.
1: That's awesome. Wow. That's great.
0: Yeah. I'm sure hopefully they had a life right there too.
1: <laughs> there's got to be, there's got to be people like just outside of the frame, you know, ready oh. to lift him up.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And think about though, how many like advocacy groups, uh, groups today would you oh. have on red alert? If you started yeah. releasing artwork like this, like,
1: Oh, the, the trolls would have a heyday. Oh, yeah they would I love everything about this album it's so there's so much there <laughs> um I do want to say that there's twelve tracks but in later years when they pressed the album they created a thirteenth track which was the secret track um endless nameless but it used to be that you had to wait there was like 10 minutes of silence and then the secret track. Uh, but then they made it another track in some of the later pressings of it.
0: But I, I think as well, like of those 13 tracks, you might like lounge act and stay away might be in the secret track might be kind of the only two or three that don't, or aren't widely known. And kind of in your face like everything else is it's right there
1: until i really started listening to this more i often forget the name of the song lithium even though i like i know it very well yeah. but i just forget what it's called <laughs> so even that i was looking through the tracks like do i know that song it played it oh i definitely know this song you know um okay well let's we often do it this way rob give us a couple give us a few of your favorites Ah. Uh. You know what? Okay, you go to put this album on, and you've listened to it many times. What's what are the tracks that you want to repeat right
0: away? Well, if if I could only pick three or four, and I'm making my uh, 14 year old <laughs> version of a mixtape. I'd I'd have to throw "Smells Like Teen Spirit" on there. Uh, it's it's probably the single largest s- single from this album.
1: Rob, I'm going to stop you before you tell us your your songs we should probably just talk about that song okay when i listen to this song here's what i've been thinking about lately what what came out before smells like teen spirit that sounded anything like this where does this come from because to me this is everything that 90s grunge and alt rock was this is like the number one and when i think about I think for the last twenty years, when this song comes on the radio, I'm jacked. Like I am, I turn it up every time. There's something about the punchiness of the power chords when he starts. It's not full distortion. It's uh, it's like clean. It's what kind of what kind of tone is that, Rob, on the guitar? It's not well.
0: It's it's, it's not. It's a mix of reverb and overdrive, but it's not right full distortion
1: it's not it's not a crunch sound it's it's just a little bit overdrive right
0: um and it's not
1: like in the in the verse and chorus when he does have the full crunch overdrive on um it—it just like it just smacks me in the face every time and i'm trying to figure out like where did it come from where did this sound come from was it some of the kind of lesser known punk acts in the in the 90s sometimes i listen to it the album, and I hear a bit of maybe like some of the metal, like Metallica. Um, do you guys know about that? Like where, where did he get it from? Because it's so, or was it just brand new? Something in the water in Seattle.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he was building off of something. Uh, it is, yeah. Uh, and there's something about this. So, in a vacuum, this song is power chords and a somewhat whiny, depressing vocalist. Uh, but it becomes big enough to like not just be big on the rock charts, but to like be played at school dances and like have a Weird Al cover of it. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, like it's, it is en- an enormous, enormous song that I think if it came out today, no one would even notice it. Well, uh, But there was something in the way that it transformed what music could be. Um, you know, I, I, like you said, uh, you, you this song gets you fired up, Mike. It immediately makes me think about people headbanging. Yes. And I don't really remember that being a thing before, you know, this sort of scene exploded like it did. Um, there's this attitude to the song that I think is a part of its success, uh, kind of like it's one giant middle finger. It's like a, I don't know, F you to the machine that's controlling our lives. And, and, and they've, they've taken that attitude and put it into the music as well. I think you're, you were onto something earlier, Mike, when you talked about Dave Grohl, I think his drumming, uh... Well, he's already—he's known as a great drummer, but his drumming on this album, I think, is what bumps it from kind of angry kids in their garage playing power chords to like an exceptional album that ends up on the greatest album of all time. Um, and that—that that drumming is right through this this iconic track.
0: I think as well, though, it—it's hard for us to to answer the question of where does it come from because. In reality, it, it's the it, same thing as cooking. You take a thousand different ingredients, you put it in a pot, you mix it up, and this is what you get. And some of your product, of what you cook, is fantastic, like if Nora makes it. But if I cook it, it's Garbo. So, <laughs> Cobain talks about his, his musical influences, and when you look through them, and he, like his, I think the four in particular that he credits as being um, incredibly impactful upon his musical development and taste and style he, he talks about uh, uh two bands that are a little bit i don't want to call them obscure because they were definitely revolutionary but not nearly as popular um those two are the pixies and the smithereens and they are uh heavy alternative rock without, I'm going to say, without a lot of substance, um, but that same anger um, and driving freight train of a beat is found in their music. But then he looks, one of his other huge musical credits is R.E.M. And that sort of, that poppy storytelling, so he's taking those two genres and mashing them together, which is, I think, where you potentially see you talk about that introduction to Smells Like Teen Spirit and it's uh, not heavily distorted with a bit of reverb and then it, it he hits the switch and it's just the kids, yeah. the boys at the grade 7, 8 dance coming off the wall and mosh pit headbanging in the center of the gym. And then <laughs> <Yeah>. he flips <laughs> tracks and, and we all, because I was one of those kids, goes back to the wall.
1: Yep. I I can see that very vividly. <laughs> <laughs> that would be Absolutely, childhood. yeah.
2: I I can't help but wonder how different this reaction will be for future generations, or for f- for generations who came before us. Um, I wonder if my kids will listen to Nirvana in a similar way that we listened to Velvet Underground a few weeks ago. Um, it was transformative for us because we lived it and it's just become part of the fabric of music history now. It doesn't, I don't know, perhaps it doesn't sound terribly revolutionary to younger people Uh, because it is fairly Mm -hmm. simple when you strip it down and you don't know that there was nothing like that until this came out.
0: But I I think there's also something to be said. We talk about our place in music history and, and the timing of this album But it's funny to think about, even as 10, 11, 12-year-olds, a couple years after this album were to come out, and we described the school dance theme that I'm sure our teachers dreaded every second of, this was one song that when it came on, everybody, regardless of musical taste, they knew this song, they knew those riffs, they knew that all you had to do was run to the middle and jump around and pretend to be angry with two fingers in the air and you bang your head till you get a headache and it <laughs> it really did that didn't that wasn't a thing until that point in time yeah so yeah. I, I think it, it had an instant impact on shaping yep where alt rock kind of evolved from
2: but without the context i think it, it, it has the potential to be lost true uh, if you didn't live it
1: well i still think i wouldn't necessarily argue with that but i still think there's a great accessibility to this song that it's not overly complicated and it's sounds that we could not necessarily like we can't all scream and sing like that on the chorus but we can all kind of access it easily Maybe maybe it is just because we grew up with it, Ben. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 isn't it hard to separate that? Yeah, absolutely. As much as I was it was so hard for me to like. I've I've had a we've had a few people. We even had a friend recently, Ben, a, a former guest of the show, um, who couldn't understand that we didn't get Bob Dylan's Highway 61 revisited and what a, a monumental album it was and created the singer songwriter era of the sixties and, and we tried you and I, I think we valiantly tried to try and figure it out and appreciate it. And we just couldn't, we couldn't transport ourselves to that time. And maybe in the reverse way, we can't understand how anybody wouldn't get how great, uh, smells like teen spirit is (laughs) because we can't separate it from that part of our lives, that part of our brain that it lives. Uh, but I still feel like it's accessible. But maybe, again, maybe that's just very subjective. Question for you guys. Um, have you have you let your kids listen to Nirvana or Smells Like Teen Spirit recently or at, at any time? The, the, have they come in and caught you listening to it over the last few days? Yeah, I had it on this morning.
2: Uh, our two youngest seemed very indifferent to it. Uh, oh, it was, <laughs> it was not standing out to them. Uh
0: I've got a, a different – so I, I didn't go through the full track list. Um, well, I, I did privately, but I was listening to a couple of them earlier. Uh, earlier this evening, I was, I was kind of doing a bit of reading and had it playing in the background. Uh, it wasn't loud, and, uh, and this song was on. Even though it's, I think it's the first track that – is it the first track that's on the actual album? Yeah, so I had it on shuffle, so they were flipping all over. And uh, my son was in his room, Yeah. Uh, kind of across yeah. from mine. And when it was playing, he's seven years old, he comes into my room and uh, he just looked at me and I looked at him I was like, what's up? And he jumped onto my bed and just belly flopped onto me and all he wanted to do do was wrestle. (laughs) (laughs) Then he'd never heard this song, didn't know I was going to have a conversation with you guys and was actually sort of analyzing it, but it just made him want to fight. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's a doesn't have the context so if, if you right. couple those two things together it's it really is quite raw
1: that just almost uh that innate animalistic it just brings out that response uh as we would call yeah. it just angry music yeah. you know <laughs> <laughs> like um oh that's funny rob you have a you have a 10-year-old daughter did, did she listen to any of this I'm curious about how the girls respond to it cuz I have a story about that uh, as well
0: Yeah she didn't uh she was out all night so maybe I'll uh I'll put the whole album on cuz I've got it all on my phone I'll put it all on when she's in the car with me and we'll uh it'll be interesting to see how she responds to it
1: Uh my daughter Lily's about to turn 11 and I I had it on for her she was asking me about it and we listened to a few tracks and I asked her, you know, what do you, th- do you know who this is? Oh, I've heard of that. Nirvana. Do you like it? Well, not really. <laughs> she was, she was very polite. Uh, it's not my thing, dad. I think she'd much prefer Taylor Swift and other stuff like that. Yeah. Now my son, on the other hand, who's nine, I remember a few weeks ago, I was just kind of getting, getting ready for bed. And I had the laptop out and he came into the bed and, said what are you listening to i said uh it's Nirvana. i want to listen to it yeah and i put on smells like team spirit immediately his eyes opened wide he started looked at me put his you know devil horns up with his hand started bopping his head up <laughs> and down head banging he was like what is this this is awesome <laughs> he was just totally into it um and and like that's you know my kids they like music they're into music but totally different responses oh, yeah. from from one to the other. But from the you know the typical young boy, it was like, "Turn that up! What is that? Yeah. <laughs> That's great!" Yeah. So we should not, when the two of our sons are together, Rob, we should not put this song on because they will beat the <laughs> snot out of each it other. Maybe
0: maybe you can have a special podcast episode where you embed people you of know, them, just basically flying off the rails at each other, throwing haymakers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's funny though as oh, well wow. because i mean that the album is like lyrically very diverse so like when you look if you look at the lyrics to S- smells like teen spirit they're fairly nonsensical and it, it doesn't it, it doesn't paint too much of a picture really um like the entire chorus is hello 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 over and over and over but it's just it's the music that, that drives it. But when you flip that that track to something like Come As You Are or In Bloom or On a Plane, if you just close your eyes and just listen to the words, you paint the picture in your mind. So it'd be interesting to see if musically this album was slightly different across different track lists, how how would that response and the reception from someone like your oldest daughter? Uh, how would that change? And I don't have an answer to that.
1: Yeah, the, you know, his lyrics are, some of them are a little cryptic. Uh, some of them are just kind of that creative poetry, could have been, could have been a little uh, influenced by substance, different substance abuse at times. Maybe some, yes, maybe some, no, but, um, I find a lot of this album the the lyrics are they're very dark, but a lot of them have to do with you know different kind of domestic issues or kind of just that feeling you know a lot of the kind of post punk and punk and alt rock that came out of the uh, out of the eighties yeah. you get a lot of really angry young people like people who are really really you know their their parents came out of an age. You know, their parents were a little absent. They came out of a disillusioned middle America that was angry about a lot of things. And that's what they grew up in. They were just pissed off at the world their parents were leaving for them. And you get a lot of this, even though this is kind of, I think there's less of that coming into, especially the pop. Not necessarily the alt-rock in the 90s, but the pop in the 90s was a lot more sugar-coated. And uh, I think that Kurt Cobain is kind of at the tail end of that generation but he's really bringing it through to the next decade and just putting a lot of anger into lyrics that yes sometimes don't make a ton of sense but you still have that feeling of like i don't feel happy when i listen to smells like teen spirit (laughs) i don't necessarily feel angry or mad but i don't feel i don't feel happy i'm energized but it's not um sunshine and roses uh, okay, well, I'm glad we did that Because <laughs> that was like Half an hour on one song
2: Track two okay. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I just think it's worth I just think that track is worth Exploring because I think That it kind of Overshadows uh, yeah, A lot of the uh, The whole album, really I mean, the, the album is great, don't get me wrong But that song is just just Bigger than all of it
2: We hope you enjoyed part one of that classic episode. We'll have part two in the next few days.